Well, what a wonderful uh, new year the Lord has given us. Uh, it is good to be in this place with his people. So good to see all of you. Hope you had a Merry Christmas and uh, you survived the new year, I see. Awful good to have Martha with us. I heard you were here last week, so we're awful glad. Martha? Martha? Glad you're here. It's good to see you. Hey, very good. What else? What do we have to praise the Lord for? Piper. I love everyone too. That's great. Good girl. What else? There we go. This morning's sermon is just a, it's going to be a standalone sermon. Uh, Next week, I believe, uh, we're going to jump into a study through Genesis chapters 1 through 11. But this Sunday, um, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John. Uh, It's good to exercise and evaluate oneself, to do some introspection, looking inside, trying to determine where I'm at, how I'm doing, what I can improve. It's a good personal exercise. And for some reason, uh, we wait until the new year to to have that. And and yet that's a that's a good time to have that introspection to to start over and to think uh, deeply about what it is we're doing. It's also healthy for a church to talk about and consider what we are doing and why. Lord, how are we doing with the tasks you've given us? Where are we succeeding and where are we failing? What can we do better? How can we better glorify you? There's been a lot of conversations about what we would call maybe the state of the church. The elders have spoken at length over the years. The board, individual members of the church, you yourself likely have given significant amount of thought to where we're at as a church. And then if you can't be honest in church, (laughs) well, that's another discussion. Let's be honest. Some of us from time to time don't, don't really give it any thought, much to any thought at all. We just show up. Sometimes we neglect to show up. What the church is doing or not doing, what it's about, might be of some concern to you or it might be of little to no concern to you. I think it's so important, though, to think about because the church has a bearing on each and every Christian. And the church has a mission to reach the lost. Being a Christian... Let me just get this out here. Being a Christian is more than being part of a church, but it's certainly not less than being part of a church. I'll state it as plainly as I can. An unchurched Christian is a contradiction in terms. An unchurched Christian is an oxymoron. And a church that never prayerfully evaluates its ministry and mission and methods That church that never evaluates ministry, mission, methods is going to die. It is. On the road home to my mom's house, about halfway between Nevada and Wichita, there's a town with a really nice church building right there on the highway. Uh, I don't know if it's because I'm a pastor or a geek. Uh, I notice church buildings wherever I go. Uh, And this this little town had this really nice, good-sized church building. A couple years ago, 
as we were driving either to Greensburg or, or back home, I realized that the sign out front of that building had a different look. Turns out that building was no longer a gathering place for a church. It was now a funeral home. To my knowledge, the church that once met there no longer is. It, it was, but no longer. It's a funeral home. Pay attention as you drive around and look at the churches that have become funeral homes or abandoned altogether or quilt shops or antique shops. There's a lot of them. We have to think about what we're doing individually. It's true. Are we committed to a local church body? Are we giving our lives to that which the Lord would have us? And we have to think about what we're doing collectively. Are we spending proper time and giving proper attention to what the Lord would have us do as a collective church body? As we enter into this new year, we must think about, or at least we should be thinking about, where we're going or where we want to go, what we're doing, what we want to do, and how we are, in the midst of all of it, going to praise and glorify the Lord. As we enter into this new year, this is our goal to praise the Lord with ever-increasing zeal and invite as many people as we can to do the same. That's our goal. In keeping with this goal, some things will stay the same. This local church body has a long and storied history of proclaiming the word of God, of proclaiming Christ here and abroad, and that will never change. We will unapologetically preach Jesus as the way, the truth, the life. We will call all people, every single one of you and the surrounding world, we will call all people to repentance, to submission to Christ as Lord and Savior, and then to joyful obedience to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. We will continue to preach. We will continue by the power of the Holy Spirit to be generous and joyfully generous. Our purpose is to bring glory not to ourselves, but to God. Opportunities to glorify him abound. Take last month, for instance, what Carla mentioned. Several of you filled stockings with gifts for children in our area, for uh, children that are in the foster system. Well, our little church and what it did got the attention of the Missouri Department of Social Services, and they posted it on the Facebook. Look at this picture. One more. Wait for it, Nancy. It says, members of the Henry County Children's Division took some time out of their day to wrap Christmas presents for youth. The 27th Circuit Children's Division partnered with Angel Tree and Rich Hill Christian Church to provide Christmas gifts for kids in the circuit. It got the attention of the big statewide organization. That's incredible. And we need to deflect any of that glory from us back to the Lord. We are generous because he's been generous with us. Generosity preaches. It preaches. We will continue to be generous and willing to share like 1 Timothy writes. We will continue to work on our spiritual growth. We will have Bible school groups, youth groups, Sunday school. We are people of the word. We are people of the book. That will not and cannot change. I've printed out several different Bible reading plans For us as a church, Uh, you won't find it in the bulletin. It used to be printed at the bottom of the bulletin. Instead, uh, printed out a bunch of these different reading plans. The one I recommend, the one I'm using for myself, is a a five-day-a-week plan. 
five days a week. So you have a if you miss a day, you have a day to make it up. Uh, it's a good one. I'll, I'll lay these out, or you can pick them up here after the service. There's some that would only have you read five minutes a day, which is good. There's some that have an everyday plan, one plan. If reading through the Bible in a year is too intimidating, and it's been too intimidating for me several times, there's one plan that's a three-year plan. In three years, you'll read through the Bible. The point is not how fast you read or how quickly you get through the Bible. The point is, my prayer is for us as a church, that you would be in the Word. Open your Bible. Here's a stat that really convicted me. If you read the Bible just 12 minutes a day, 12 minutes a day, you will easily get through the Bible in a year. 12 minutes. Do you have 12 minutes? Do you know how much time you spend looking at your smartphone a day? Watching TV? Attending sporting events? In my case, it's a lot more than 12 minutes a day. I I promise you that. 12 minutes a day. John Piper, a pastor in Minnesota, said rather prophetically years ago, He says, one of the great uses of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness and lack of Bible reading was not from lack of time. Oof. (laughs) I didn't read my Bible today. I watched six and a half hours of Netflix, but I I couldn't open my Bible for 12 minutes. We will, Rich Hill Christian Church, commit to growing spiritually, growing closer to the Lord. We will continue to be invested in the next generation. As those who are running the race come up behind us, we will cheer them on. We will point them to Jesus, making sure that all of us keep our eyes fixed on him and him alone. Some things here at Rich Hill Christian Church will stay the same. And some things at Rich Hill Christian Church will change. They have to. If nothing changes ever, that's a sign of decay. Moss starts to grow. If nothing changes, it's likely because fear is ruling the day. We must hang on to that which is indispensable, and we must be willing to let go of those things upon which we have placed too much, hopes and dreams, happiness, contentedness, comfort, etc. The other day, Miracle was playing with one of the many Lego sets that he got for his birthday, December 18th, and then one week later is Christmas, so homeboy's just like buried in Legos. He has so many Lego sets from grandmas and mom and dad. I came home for lunch and I found him sitting on the floor of the living room looking rather melancholy, just kind of sad. And I asked him, I said, buddy, what's up? And he replied, (laughs) he replied, this Lego set isn't making me happy. Uh, as As a father and a pastor, I found this to be a an extremely teachable moment. I said, buddy, stuff will never make you happy. And by looking to stuff or believing that stuff or circumstance would or could ever make you happy, you will only ever always be disappointed. That Lego set was never meant to make you happy. What, what's going to make you happy is Jesus. The, the spot in your life for what will make you happy is already filled. It's, it's Jesus. Things can't make you happy or give you what you need. That spot is reserved for the God-man, Jesus Christ. And as I'm 
teaching and preaching to my son, I'm preaching to myself. Barrett, things will never make you happy. That spot, that spot's intended for Jesus. Some stuff will change here in this gathered body of believers. These changes might not, like miracle, make you happy. And some stuff won't change. And the changes not made might not make you happy. If your happiness is tied to stuff or to circumstance, to things or tradition, to innovation, (laughs) you are bound to be disappointed. You just are. But if you are tied to Christ, if you are happy in him, then no matter the circumstance, no matter the changes, if you are tied to Christ, nothing can take that away. Nothing can alter that. Nothing can mess with that when Jesus is your happiness. So if and when, I'm just going to say when you get upset with some changes we make or some changes we don't make, ask yourself, am I upset because this isn't what I want or what I like? Am I upset because this doesn't fit well in my kingdom that's honestly more about me than it is about Jesus? Or am I upset because this is in some way clearly unbiblical, clearly contrary to the kingdom of God? It's good, it's right, and it's good. It's okay to be upset, even angry, with a church that does something unbiblical. I hope you are upset with a church that does something clearly unbiblical. However, if what a church does upsets you on the level of personal preference or changing tradition, we probably need to check our hearts. Holy Spirit, reveal any sinful, selfish way in me. If it's not clearly unbiblical, change is a good thing. We are striving not to make changes for change's sake, but to make changes so that more and more people who don't know Jesus would come to a saving knowledge of him. Sometimes it's good to open the windows and blow out the cobwebs. Doing something new, something different, something that hasn't been done before. Doing that communicates that this ship isn't sinking. We need to communicate that we are more interested, more concerned, more focused on reaching a lost and dying world than we are keeping everything just exactly as it's been for the last 50, 60, 80, 138 years. Keeping everything the same believe is not an option. Jared Wilson, an author and speaker, stepped on my trail hard this week as I was reading one of his books. He writes this, get ready to have your, your toes stepped on. He says, there comes a time when every church has to decide whether they're actually a church or just a place where people go to get their preferences coddled. Oof. Your toes hurt? We had a pastor, uh, Reverend Pattenode, uh, interim pastor at the church I grew up in. He said, if I'm stepping on your toes, pull your feet up to your heart because the Holy Spirit wants to step on your heart. He wants to change you at a heart level. It's not about us, friends. 
not about our preferences, our traditions, our desires. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. Personal confession time. I'll give you a minute to write that down because that's significant. Personal confession time. I do not like change. (laughs) Not even a little bit. Not one ounce do I like change. If everything stayed exactly the same, if I can walk into the house and everything is exactly where it should be and not chaos, I love it. I don't like change. But where the church is concerned, I see a need. In order to reach people for Christ, we need to be willing to do something different. Ben Merrill, any of you recognize that name, Ben Merrill? He was a longtime pastor of Harvester Christian Church outside of St. Louis, a massive Christian church. Uh, He's now in his mid-80s. He might be pushing 90. He told a group of pastors and elders a few years ago one of the most incredible things I've ever heard. Ben Merrill, an aged saint, not some young whippersnapper like me, said this. He says, I will be willing to put up with things I do not like in order to reach people who are not like me. That's incredible. It's an incredibly mature perspective, a perspective that I don't possess most of the time. I want what I want. But the Holy Spirit's working on me. Concern for the kingdom of God, concern for the glory of Jesus, concern for the supremacy of Christ, concern that Jesus is fully in the spotlight. That's what we're after. And that's John the Baptist's story in a nutshell. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to the Gospel of John. And if you're able and willing, let's stand for the reading of God's holy word. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. After this, Jesus... And his disciples went out to the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Anon near Salem, because there was plenty of water and the people were coming to be baptized. This was before John was put into prison. He couldn't very well baptize people if he wasn't, if he was in prison, so thanks for that. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it's now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from heaven is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The person who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You can be seated. Here in John chapter 3, the disciple John shifts the focus away from Jesus for a moment 
And now the disciple John, it's confusing because the disciple John writes the book of John and talks about John the Baptist. Why everyone names their kids the same thing is, so John the Baptist writes John the disciple is baptizing people with the help of some of his followers. At this point in the story, if you back up a couple of chapters, you'll see that some of John the Baptist's disciples had already transferred their loyalty to Jesus. They had started following Jesus. John the Baptist was the first to point people to Jesus, even his disciples. It says the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then the very next day, he says, look, the Lamb of God. And upon hearing John the Baptist's proclamation, two of his disciples were told, two of them, likely more, but at least two of them left John right then, and they went to follow Jesus. One of them was Peter's brother, Andrew. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. This was a natural thing for Andrew to do. He couldn't not follow Jesus. Yet here in chapter 3, we see John the Baptist still has disciples. These were followers who found it impossible to transfer their allegiance to Jesus. They were intensely loyal to John the Baptist, intensely loyal to what they knew. The disciples of John the Baptist, as we read through that, you saw, you heard, they were gripped with envy. As they saw their ministry and John the Baptist's ministry starting to lose its popularity to another ministry. Seems to be the human condition, doesn't it? We envy, we covet, we want what others have. We want to hang on to what we believe is ours. We have to fight against all of those tendencies and learn somehow to be content with what we have. To be content with what the Lord has given us. John's disciples are not content. They don't like what's happening. They don't like what they see. And so, what do they do? They tattle. They they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. Bunch of tattlers. Sounds a little whiny, doesn't it? It's couched in concern concern for themselves they don't want anything to change they like things the way they are i don't know who this you you said something about him down by the river we weren't really paying attention he is stepping on ministry john we are the baptizers that's our thing the envy and distress of john's disciples are not echoed by john john wasn't upset He wasn't ticked off by the attention given to Jesus. John wasn't phased. John was pleased. John was all about it. And John instructed his disciples through why. John tells his students, he says, A man can receive nothing unless it's been given him from heaven. John had received his God-given vocation, his position, with joy and an open hand. And precisely because John trusted the Lord's will and the Lord's timing, John was not upset. John was delighted. Delighted to see Jesus' popularity, popularity growing and his, his own popularity decreasing. He says, you yourselves can testify that I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. John knew his place. He shared openly the fact that he was the one Isaiah had prophesied about, the one who would cry out in the wilderness, preparing a way. 
John knew that he was not the Messiah. Rather, he was just a herald of the Messiah, a herald of the coming kingdom. John was not the king. He was a forerunner of the king. It wasn't about John. It was about Jesus. John says he wasn't the groom. It wasn't his wedding. John was just the best man, a friend of the groom. The people of God are often referred to in the Old Testament as the bride of Christ. Uh, The Old Testament taught this, and then the New Testament refers to the church as Christ's bride. John was saying, hey, listen, I am not the groom. The bride isn't mine. The bride is his, but I am the best man, and I get to go to the wedding feast and stand right next to the groom as he enters into the joy of his wedding. This was for John an unspeakable privilege, immeasurable, matchless joy. John was not envious of Jesus. John didn't covet Jesus' bride. John was delighted to play his small part in the wedding. He'd received a mission from God, and it was his great pleasure to fulfill his role and then step off stage. His place was never in the spotlight. His place was making sure the spotlight shined fully, brightly, clearly, not on himself, but on Jesus. And in one of the most famous statements that ever dripped from his lips, John the Baptist shows his place and his purpose. He says, he must become greater. I must become less. Few greater motto texts for ministry have ever been uttered. I I can think of few more clarifying and important reminders for ministry for a church's worship and mission than this. In all things, we must become less and less. And he, and he alone, must become greater and greater. Because he's worthy. John summed up his teaching in these famous words, he must become greater, I must become less. It was necessary that Jesus would take precedence over him. Notice, John says he must become greater. Jesus becoming greater, John becoming less, this is divine necessity. Church, this is our verse for 2020. We picked a short one so you can memorize it. More than that, it's a good lifelong remember for each of us. I know of someone who has this as their computer password. I won't tell you who so you don't get in and hack their computer. But every time they sat down at their computer, every time they sat down at their computer, they have to type, he must become greater, I must become less. Like 20 times a day, he must become greater, I must become less. What a good reminder. Write this verse on your bathroom mirror in dry erase marker. It'll wipe right off. Print it out and tape it to your computer screen. Tattoo it on your forehead, or not on your forehead, and maybe not a tattoo, but write it down. We've talked about having t-shirts printed up, or even car decals that says, kingdom greater than me. Jesus, his rule, and his reign are supreme. Nothing we desire, nothing we want, nothing we'd like to hang on to with a death grip, nothing is greater than Jesus and his kingdom. We here on earth, John says, the one from earth, we cannot have preeminence over the one that's come from heaven. Verse 31 states, the one who comes from heaven is above all. 
Jesus came to us. He took on flesh and walked among us. He declared the very words of God to us. Indeed, he was God himself. But John's no one paid attention. (laughs) No one paid attention. No one what Jesus had to say. Because for so long, and even still, we are tempted to elevate ourselves. We're tempted to move Jesus to the side, to move him backstage so that we can be in the spotlight. In Jesus' day, there was widespread opposition to him. The religious folk, it's always the religious folk of his time, rejected him. Almost universally, almost across the board. But amid the opposition, there were those whose eyes and ears God opened to see and hear the truth of God. And they received Jesus' teaching. John says everything is in Jesus' hands. Remember that. Everything is in Jesus' hands. Jesus is everything. He has eternal life. It comes from a relationship with him. Jesus is everything. He's life. He turns away the wrath of God for all those who accept him. He must become greater. I must become less. Let our focus be on making him greater and greater in our lives, at Rich Hill Christian Church, and among the nations. Jesus must be greater. We must be less and less. It's not about us. It's not about me. Not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. We are going to keep the main thing the main thing. It's not about us. It's about him. It's not about tradition or keeping things the same. It's about the kingdom. We're going to center ourselves and this church on the gospel, on Christ and the good news about him, and do whatever we can to tell the world how good he is. He must become greater. We must become less. Some questions to think about. Which kingdom are we building? Our kingdom or his kingdom? What matters more to us? What we want or what Jesus wants? (laughs) Do you remember those old WWJD bracelets? My brother-in-law, Megan's oldest brother, laughed at how He said, at the apex of my religious fanaticism, he said, I wore like 20 of those bracelets on each wrist just to let everyone know that I was... It's not a bad question. What would Jesus do? Though we have a book that tells us exactly what Jesus did. I'm not sure we need to ask the question. We have the answers to that question right here before us. Instead of WWJD, what about WWJW? What would Jesus want? We're making changes. We'll be making more changes. Not haphazardly, but because we are seeking and trying to determine what Jesus would want. Who Jesus would want us to be. What Jesus wants from Rich Hill Christian Church. We have prayed that prayer many times. Jesus, what do you want? What do you want us to be? What do you want us to look like? What do you want us to do? What would Jesus want is a far more important question than what do I want or what do you want? That matters significantly less than what Jesus wants. Can we agree? 
My prayer is that what Jesus wants becomes most important. It becomes most important to me. And my prayer is that what Jesus wants in your life and in this church becomes most important to you. That his kingdom takes precedence and priority over my preference. The kingdom of God is and must remain greater than me and my preference. Say this verse with me, would you? He must become greater. I must become less. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us, lead us, guide us, give us strength by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us. Help us to deflect any glory that we're seeking, any of the spotlight. Would we shine it back on you? Would we, by the power of your Holy Spirit, learn from John, be more like John? And would we say, would we remind ourselves, would your Holy Spirit stick this verse, tattoo this verse right on our heart? Help us to remember that Jesus must become greater. I must become less. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters, and boy, do we look forward to what you're going to do in us and through us and even in spite of us. For your glory and for your fame, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.